Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Sally A. from South Jersey, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, December 24th, 2014. Today we are reading from the AA Big Book, and we will begin reading on page 27, the first paragraph beginning some of our through three paragraphs ending of your description. Please focus your shares on the third paragraph. Today's readers for the 12 steps is Anita L. The 12 traditions is Sarah W. Our readers will be Rick W., Deb W., and Janice M. The share ID for Tuesday, December 23rd, 2014, is 7133. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Anita L. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Anita L. recovered for today from Philadelphia. One, the 12 steps. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Step seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Step 10, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted. Step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Mm -hmm. 
And step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Anita. I will now ask Sarah W. to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning, Sally. Thank you for your service. This is Sarah W., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Reader from Iowa. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group would never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Sarah W. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 27 beginning with paragraph 1 beginning with some of our alcoholic readers and I will ask Rick B to read three paragraphs ending with of your description. Rick? Good morning my name is Rick. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. 
Some of our alcoholic readers may think they can do without spiritual help. Let us tell you the rest of the conversation our friend had with his doctor. The doctor said, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I have never seen one single case recover where that state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. A friend felt as though the gates of hell had closed on him with a clang. He said to the doctor, is there no exception? Yes, replied the doctor, there is. Exceptions to cases such as yours have been occurring since early times. Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have what are called vital spiritual experiences. To me, these occurrences are phenomena. They appear to be of the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men, are suddenly cast to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. In fact, I have been trying to produce some such emotional rearrangements within you. Many individuals... With many individuals, the methods which I employed are successful, but I have never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. So the doctor is talking to Roland Hazard, and um, after he had been uh, over to see Dr. Young, and um, it's interesting when we go into the next uh, paragraph. It, it says, after all, he was a good church member. Well, he found out that he needed more than that. He needed more than his own conceptions and his own way of thinking and his own way of living to solve his alcoholic problem. For me, I was not a good church member. I, I was basically an agnostic at best, atheist at worst. I I really didn't have a belief in God. But with what my story is like is working the steps gave me an understanding of God and I came to believe that there was a God. And after that, belief in God was started, I was able to explore and understand him more fully. So each of us has our own story. You can be a very faithful, religious uh, person but still not apply these spiritual principles to the problems in your life, whether it be alcoholism or compulsive overeating. Myself, it took a, a pretty dramatic rearrangement. Uh, what, what it did for me was allowed me to understand and see and believe that there was a God. And to me, that is uh, nothing any less than a phenomenon that I can't explain. All I know is that through working the steps, that rearrangement occurred. So I'll pass with that. Thank you, Rick. Would, would anyone like to share on what was read? I'm passing Karen. Julie R. Larry. Kathy. Leah. <laughs> okay. Okay, guys, hold up. Hold up. Kathy K. I'm Julie R. I heard Larry. I heard Lorna. Leia. Vasa. And we'll go with Vasa. We'll stop right there. That's a lot. Five people. Go ahead, Kathy. Kathy Kay. 
Thank you very much, Sally A., for your service. Um, this is Kathy Kay, a recovered compulsive overeater from Boston. And, you know, I love this third paragraph. I remember the first time I read it, um, I uh, I thought, wow, this is really out of reach for me uh, because I was an agnostic and I had been an agnostic for 45 years or something. Um, and it occurred to me that um, without that kind of assistance, uh, I mean, I had been in therapy many times too and did not experience a significant emotional arrangement there either. I just experienced in, immense self-knowledge, um, which was of no avail to me, as it says in the big book. Um, but little by little, as I started working the steps, I had the experience because my sponsor suggested to me that I say the third step prayer every time I sit down to write and every time I start my day um, and use whatever prayers I was willing to use. And um, little by little, as I did the work, I started to notice that I was reacting differently to life. Um, and it was only uh, months later that I could really start seeing it in myself. And the term emotional rearrangement means so much to me today. Um, in fact, I can experience that kind of shift just by doing a daily tenth step. So this paragraph for me represents another promise of our step work um, and of living one day at a time in recovery. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy and Julie R. Hi, this is Julie R., recovered in California. Uh, thank you, Sally, for your service. This is such an exciting paragraph. I have the whole thing um, highlighted, and this is this way for years. You know, the first thing I want to say, is there no exception? And then the next paragraph goes on to say, yes, there are exceptions. And, you know, I'm excited to say I am one of those exceptions today. Um, huge emotional displacements and rearrangements, ideas, emotions, and attitudes which were once the guiding forces. You know, that was my self-will, my selfishness. I'm, You know, it's like, okay, if I'm not living that way today, what does that mean? That means that I'm living to be of service. And I am not that, sure, I'm not that morbidly obese woman, but I'm not a manipulator. I'm not a cheat. I'm not a lustful woman. I don't do those things. You know, it doesn't say anything about alcohol right here. So it doesn't say anything about food. Yeah, the food's down. That's gone. But I am. It's like that authentic Julie was able to emerge once I had that spiritual transformation. I'm not looking at everything. What's in it for me? It's like, well, wait a minute. How is this going to affect the people around me? This is, has nothing to do with being on a diet. This has to do with me being a totally different woman, me wanting to help people and not cause harm. And I could only have done this by going through the steps and having the spiritual experience, that spiritual awakening. It's like, you know, I think I've said this before, it's almost like that ice age person being, you know, buried and then they're unearthed and they slowly melt. That's what happened to me. I didn't have that one where I was just struck 
into this totally different person. But I used to spend money, ten, fifteen thousand dollars a month on nothing. Didn't care what it did to my family. And now it's like I'll go to my husband and say, you know what? Do you think we should spend this? I I was in a four year affair. I mean, I hurt so many people. Now I dress appropriately. I act appropriately. This wasn't me. This was because I went through the steps and I live them and I live in 10, 11, and 12. So um, this is an exciting, exciting, exciting paragraph and I could talk for hours, but I only have three minutes. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Julie. And Larry, it's your turn. Thanks, Sally. Larry Kay, recovered uh, compulsive reader from Chicago. I'm just going to speak from first from a, from a historical perspective to understand where Jung was. You know, he he uh, he was part of Freud's circle um, in Vienna early on, and uh, and and he and he was he was younger than than Freud by about 15 or 20 years, and uh, and and he was tapped to be this this was that whole psychoanalytical movement early on, and he was tapped to be he was actually the uh, Anointed by Freud to to head up the psychoanalytic uh, society at that time, and what's interesting to me is that uh, in Freud, you know, there was um, just historically there there was uh, Jewish um, uh, uh, psychoanalysts at the time, Freud being one, Adler and others, and uh, and Freud felt that because Jung wasn't and he was a preeminent doctor that they needed. Um, another voice that tapped into this whole psychoanalytic movement, and uh, Jung later broke off. And 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 one of the things that he broke off from was that he felt that there was this whole spiritual realm, and that it's interesting because um, he he didn't his works weren't published until later. Uh, some of this this is more profound, uh, prominent works that spoke about this whole mystical side and uh, side that he couldn't explain, explain scientifically, and yet because of his upbringing and some other things that he, he really tapped into this unconscious mind, but also this kind of spiritual realm. So, you know, here it is that the doctor said, you know, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I've never seen one single case recover where the state of the mind existed to the extent that it does in you, you know, and, and what's interesting to me about that is, can you imagine if you had a hopeless condition, you know, like cancer and, and the doctor says, you know, I've never seen one single case recover where that state of the mind existed to the extent that it does in you. I mean, what we hear is something entirely different. What he was talking about, I think, was was this all uh, relates to change. When I relate to this, all these phenomena, these vital spiritual experiences, the rearrangements, huge emotional displacements, it all speaks to one thing that's occurred in me, which is change. So no change uh no no ability to uh to deal with life and and of course this manifestation of the the, the food and the the compulsive overeating would be something that I never would be able to overcome myself. I had to have a change, and that change came about through the steps for me, but the main purpose there was to bring me into a new relationship with my higher power, a higher power that i couldn't prove to you exists, but nonetheless, I know that I've changed. I've had, uh, you know, all ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of my life, you know, suddenly were cast to one side. 
if they were not for me, I would not have had this change and I would still be um, enslaved by the food, enslaved by all the bedevilments, you know, that are, that are, that they mention. And, uh, but because of this, somehow, um, I've been rearranged, reconstructed. I've, you know, it's like a control, alt, delete, rebooted, whatever visual, whatever, you know, whatever would help you to understand. That's what's happened to me. And so now I can live my life um, al- aligned with God's will with, uh, for me. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Larry. And Leah. Thank you, Sally. Hi, everybody. Leah, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. I mean, as we read this paragraph, you know, uh, it's all about change. Rearrangement speaks to change. You know, cast aside speaks to change. Uh, You know, new conceptions and motives begin to dominate us, meaning, you know, we're governed by new thoughts and new attitudes. Um, You know, and this is the crux of the matter because all action is born in thought. So, uh, you know, we've certainly learned that it's the state of mind that is the real issue here, that the same person will eat again. And, And that's absolutely what I had to understand is that my greatest obstacle was my was me <laughs> and my thinking my thinking was the most difficult and dangerous thing that i had because again all action is born uh in thought so the program of recovery uh took me through a process which was transforming in nature and i can tell you um you know with the utmost sincerity today that i am not the same person i used to be I am not the same person I used to be. I have had a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. You know, when because when I came here, when I when I crawled through the doors of Overeaters Anonymous with tombstones in my eyes, I was the authority uh, on compulsive overeating. I knew everything you needed to know about compulsive overeating. I compulsively overate very very well. But if you're the compulsive overeater of my type, what I did not know is how do I live in my house with my husband or visit my parents or be at my job with my boss and my sibling and not have to compulsively overeat to stand it. (laughs) And I tell you, that is the secret of these 12 steps. That is the secret of the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Because this program of recovery is not about eating. This is about living without having to compulsively overeat. I am not what I used to be. I have been born again where my old ideas, emotions, and attitudes were cast aside. And now I live by a whole new set of ideas, emotions, and attitudes. And the steps cleared away, opened this channel so I could get a correct perspective on the world. And I am not the same person I used to be. And it's not, you know, this is not about, uh, you know, self-glorification. This is about getting my own, out of my own way so that God could recreate me as he would have me be. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Thanks for your share. And Vasa. Okay. Yes, Vasa. Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Sally, for your service. Service and I'm Vasa. Oh, recovered compulsive Vita calling from uh, Florida. 
And uh, I love this paragraph. Uh, over the years, I questioned uh, this part for many times, and I read it over and over many, many, many times, what God has done for me that I couldn't do for myself. And uh, and then, you know, I kept on reading the spiritual experiences, you know, at the um, the few, the end of the pro the end of the book, you know, I remember, you know, about the spiritual experiences everybody gets, the educational, and some of them are all of a sudden, right away, and um, and I know for me, I was twelve steps for about a week, and uh, you know, it gave me hope. The solution was right here, and I remember my sponsor said, God will do for you what you cannot do for yourself, and I was that chronic compulsive reader at that time. I didn't carry a lot of weight, but it, I was going on the way up, and I also had, uh, I was a very active person, so, you know, I guess whatever I was eating, I was burning a lot too. Um, but anyways, uh, I did grow up in uh, in a religious home, and I did grow up in a communist country. So I was thought there was God, and there was thought there's no God. But I also remember my father questioning God also, the religion part too. And I remember saying, well, if he's so religious, why is he connect, connection? Why is he uh, questioning that? So I had a lot of confusion, a lot of just growing up my life I learned you know I lived my life by my will and by you know by myself you know I didn't know I could turn to a power greater than myself or I could find or I didn't believe there was one anyway so I was agnostic or I or atheist you know there but I, the food, the food brought me to my knees, you know, and I said, there's got to be a better life out there than the life that's, that I'm living. So, you know, I was ready. I, was, I took that risk, you know. I said, I, you know, even though I'm scared, I don't know what's going to happen. I am just going to surrender. And I, you know, with the food and putting God's hands in my life and my will, and I did it in my bathroom. And I'm sure some of you probably have heard my story. And I did, so I didn't know much about the program. I didn't know much about the steps. But I, I guess I learned enough in that week what my sponsor was saying to me. And I, and I listened and I listened. And I said, you know what? I'm dying anyway. So I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to take a risk. And I'm going to just surrender to God and put the foot in God's hands. And my life and my will, even if I was scared with my life and my will, but I did it anyways. And I said, God, please forgive me. And I have a, I had a spiritual experience, but I didn't want to share that experience with anybody for, for a while because I didn't want people to think cra- I was crazy, you know. And, you know, I did say something to my, to my husband, you know, and he said, just keep it to yourself. Well, those are the secrets that I was eating over, the secrets I was going to go into my grave, you know, if I didn't, because, if I didn't talk to them about them, you know. So uh, I did say it to my sponsor, that's all. And she said, you've asked, you had spiritual experience, you know. And it is by the grace of God, you know, that was I was being given the gift of abstinence. It's not because I was doing it by myself. You know, if I could have accomplished, I would have done it. And God took over for me. I had crossed from death to life. Thank you for letting me share that path. Yeah. 
Gloria. Oh. Sally, are you with us? Press star one to unmute. Oh, okay. No wonder I wasn't being heard. <laughs> okay, thank you. <clears throat> I was suddenly muted. Okay, um, are there, let's have one or two more. And I Laura, thought I heard Kim. I need a trip. Kim. Excuse me, I thought I heard Kim. And then who else was there? Lauren S. Lauren S. And was there one more? Janice. Anita J. Okay, we're going to just go with Kim, Lauren S., and Janice, and we're going to move on to the next paragraph. Okay. Uh, Kim, go ahead. Good morning. I'm sorry. I I thought Leah was the last person in the lineup. I apologize for stepping on you there. Um, Good morning, all. My name is Kim G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And uh, I want to look at two prejudices that I had. You know, first of all, it, when we talk so much about the spiritual experience, when people say, what does that mean? I think this is a great paragraph to bring people to because this is the description of the spiritual experience. So two prejudices I had, you know, what, what do I need to do in this program and in life? And I always thought it was more. If I, you know, more romance, more money, more power, more prestige. And this line here, ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men, are suddenly cast to one side. So really what the STEP program is, is about a program of subtraction, not addition. So let's look at what these action steps do. Steps four and five, we look at our resentments, our fears, and our sex conduct, and they're cast to one side. In six and seven, we identify those character defects which are blocking us from God. They're cast to one side. Then in eight and nine, we look at our guilt, our shame, and remorse on how we've treated others, and that is cast to one side. So it's all about subtraction. And then it says, a new, a new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate us, which are the spiritual principles of the step. So what I was you know, taught in life, and I hear it even in the rooms, is I have to learn to live life on life's terms. Well, life's terms are about getting more. It's about power, prestige, competition, constantly in collision with other people. What I am doing by letting this completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate me is I'm learning to live life on God's terms, not on Kim's terms. Because living life on Kim's terms and living life on the terms that society is telling me I should be living by is all about self and self-centeredness. So I think this is just a beautiful description of the spiritual experience, which is directly opposite of what I thought. This is not about getting more. This is not a self-help group. This is a self-abandonment group. How can I cast aside those things that dominated me, that brought me crawling in the rooms of OA? And how can I learn to incorporate a new set of motives, which will get me in alignment with God's will, my higher power's will, which will allow me to walk on this earth a free woman? And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Lauren S. Okay. And thank you, Thank you, Lauren S. uh, From Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. A Lauren S. is in Sam, a recovered compulsive overeater. And two meditations that. that I write about starting on page 25 for these pages, you know, now we're on 27, is do I believe anything less than a miracle will save me? 
you know, and they say, this is nothing short of a miracle. And, and we actually <laughs> read that again in the um, 11th step, but that's that's way down the road. You know, we're on step one right right now. And, and I write about that. Do I believe anything less than a miracle will save me? A spiritual experience will save me. And, and the second meditation for me that's crucial is, is do I have any chance any choice but to die a compulsive overeater or accept spiritual help. You know, we read too on 25, we have two options, to die a bitter death or to accept a spiritual spiritual way of living. And and right now we're we're in the obsession. We're re, we're learning, we're gaining knowledge about the mental obsession in the book. <clears throat> and here we're we're given a promise. Like this isn't like th- this isn't, you know, slogans or or stay until the miracle happens or meet or keep going to meetings or just wait it out. Those, you know, those can give you hope, but for me, that's that's not what I need. Those those um those statements can give me hope, but that's not practical experience because we can die from this. I will die from this disease if I don't have a tool a practical experience, a spiritual tool that, that can actually guarantee me recovery, you know? And this is giving us the promise that my old way of thinking, my old way of feeling, my old way of believing, my old way of acting out of how I guide my life will be removed and replaced. And um, I also write about this, you know, like, what are my ideas, emotions, and attitudes today? You know, because even though I'm recovered from this obsession to binge and, and undereat and overeat, I can still, oh gosh, I can still be agnostic in many ways today. And I write about those. You know, what, are my, what's, what am I agnostic about today? How am I still blocked from God? And, okay, wrap it up soon. And, and going through the work, for me, having a new experience with the book, like at least one time a year, at least, will guarantee that I'll have, that I'll be changed again, you know? Like, oh, I am like good gravy. Okay, thank you very much. I'll pass. Thank you, Lauren S. and Janice M. Thank you, Sally. Good morning to you and everyone. My name is Janice M. I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Okay, just for contents, the second second paragraph gives him an answer that he is hopeless because he's got the mind. He thinks. And and, and, so he's hopeless because the doctor, Dr. Young, cannot change his mind. You see, he's hopeless. But then he gets a little hope when the doctor says, yeah, there are exceptions. Well, let me tell you, if the doctor said that to me, I would say, oh, okay, because I'm unique. Maybe I am an exception, and I don't have to do these things, or maybe I'm not a compulsive overeater because I always self-deceived myself, you know, and denied it. But there's the hope here now. He's asking, is there an exception? And if we remember, uh, Bill, too, he thought he was an exception. (laughs) But uh, once you are, you are. And um, now there's hope. Oh, I got an answer. I got an answer. Maybe I'm different. No, the answer is right here. 
the answer this is this chapter is there is a solution there's an answer there's a, there's a, imagine there's a way out and this like it's been said so beautifully is that it's a vital it's vital to 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 be hopeful here it's vital spiritual experience spiritual awakening and if we noticed you know dr silkworth dr silkworth was the neurologist for Bill. He gave us the physical problem. You know, you have an allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. And then we have Dr. Young. He gives us the solution. He knows about it, but guess what? He can't give it, remember, because human, he cannot produce these emotional rearrangements. The doctors can't do that, you see. So we need a power greater than ourselves that we will find out as we um, go through the process of the 12 steps. So it says here, but I have never been successful. Well, I haven't either. I've tried and tried and tried. Couldn't do it until a power greater than myself could produce this phenomenon, change. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Janice. And with that, I'm going to ask Deb W. to begin reading upon hearing at the bottom of page 27 and take us through two paragraphs ending with made him a free man. Deb W. from Oklahoma. Hi, Sally. It's Deb W., uh, Oklahoma Recovered Compulsive Eater. Upon hearing this, our friend was somewhat relieved, for he reflected that, after all, he was a good church member. This hope, however, was destroyed by the doctors telling him that while his religious convictions were very good, in this, his case, they did not spell the necessary vital spiritual experience. Here was the terrible dilemma in which our friend found himself when he had the extraordinary experience, which, as we have already told you, made him a free man. And so where I, I, I went back and what I can identify is, you know, I and probably many of us, when we read the part about, um, you know, the reputation that I have, I'm a church member, you know, I, I go regular, I'm a, you know, I even may have a pew that I own and, you know, you know, I'm friends with the, the pastor and all those things were good and they're all nice, but this is not what will get us recovery is having a, a good church re- reputation. So just like <laughs> just like this guy probably I, my my hopes were kind of, you know, you know, shaken. And and what I wanted to go back and kind of explain by going to the uh Big Book dictionary, what is the difference in having religion and having a spiritual experience? And so when I go to the uh, Big Book Dictionary, they describe religion as an expression of a belief in conduct and ritual, any specific system of belief and worship, often involving a code of ethics and a philosophy. Um, but yet when we come around and we ask, what is the spiritual experience? What's the difference? And that's relating to, consisting of, or affecting the spiritual, not composed of matter. 
practicing value in and practicing spiritual principles and belief. Um, at the level of one's essential internal self, psychic being, soul, the will, the feeling, the thinking, or activating force. And so that's why, you know, when we describe these spiritual experiences, the the normal person will say, you know, oh, okay, or I don't know what they're talking about. Or, you know, a lot of times even us in program, we, we struggle because I don't know if I've had it. I don't know what that means. Well, what I have found, my experience is, is this something that if I seek, it will come. If I do the footwork of the steps, a change will happen to me. It isn't anything that I do. It is what happens to me. The spiritual world is what I seek, what I desire. And in that seeking and in that desire and in that working the steps, things start changing about me. And the faith that these things will happen is what I put in place when I do the steps and when I work with others who have had this spiritual uh, awakening. I don't have to fret over and figure out because I cannot get there on my own. I have to have the help. This problem that I have that has you know, left all um, human aid has to have a spiritual a solution, a spiritual fix. And so not only do I find a spiritual fix for this eating problem, I also find the spiritual fix for the living problem. And so with that, I pass. Thank you, Deb. And I'm going to jump in here for a minute and share on this myself. Um, this uh, We're about to change the the subject and turn away from the story of Roland Hazard, and I just really would like to say something about this story that I, I haven't shared on. And um, as we look at this sentence, I'm still Sally, a recovered compulsive overeater in South Jersey. It says at the bottom here, upon hearing this, our friend was somewhat relieved. Now, when I read this, these words, this friend, Roland Hazard, oh, I can imagine his shoulders just went, oh, okay, thank God, that's all I have to do. He had this sense of complete, oh, he was somewhat relieved. Now, here's a guy who had, you know, turned over every rock in America on, you know, page 26, trying to find American psychiatrists to fix him, and nothing worked. So he tried the geographic cure, and he took off for Europe, and he wanted to get the best. He wanted Freud. He couldn't get Freud, thank God, because Freud was an atheist. He could get Freud's protege. Carl Jung, Dr. Carl Jung. And so he goes and he's there for a long time and he's getting well and he thinks, oh, he's, he's got it. He understands. Uh, he's got this, this profound inner knowledge. So self-knowledge brings him to a place where he's ready to go home. And on his way to the ship to go home, what does he do? But he gets drunk. Well, where is he going to go? He's, he knows there's nothing in America. So he turns around and goes back to Carl Jung, Dr. Carl Jung, and says, what is wrong with me? Tell me once and for all, because guess what? There's nowhere else to go. So he goes back to his doctor, and his doctor tells him, I'm sorry, but you're utterly hopeless. Okay, and now we go to page 27, and we see that he's telling him flat out, Carl Young tells him, look, I'm sorry, buddy. You've got the mind of a chronic alcoholic. And then he tells him, 
the only thing that's going to change, and I've been trying to help you get this, is this vital spiritual experience. And it goes on to talk about the changes that we've heard so much about this morning, which is true. You have to change. The only thing I have to change is everything. The only thing I had to change was everything. And so he's, he comes down here and he finally says, upon hearing this, our friend was somewhat relieved. Oh, good. I got that. I could do that. And he's, once again, he's thinking about, oh, I've been a good church member. And he's got a little hope for a moment. But then, again, the second time on the page, it says, it talks about the very last line, the vital spiritual experience. And what those words mean to me is the vital spiritual experience is not about your religion. It's all about your relationship with a higher power. That's what has to change. Okay, thanks for letting me share. And I want to ask Anita J, do you want to still share? I'd like to go have you go first because you've been so patient. And is there anyone else who'd like to share on these last paragraphs? Can you hear me? Is that you, Anita J? Yeah, that's me. Okay. Anita J, before you get started, is there someone okay. else who wants to also share right after Anita? Anyone else? Okay, Anita, go ahead. Hi, thank you. Uh, this is Anita J. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Massachusetts. And um, I've just been listening these last few weeks, hardly talking. And there, that shows you a vital spiritual experience happened with me because I always thought I knew. And I knew that I knew, but it had nothing to do with recovery. Um, the funny thing is, I mean, once I look at my life, he's now making them, um, people are, this fellow thinks he's off the hook because he's a good church member. When I walked into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, I had given up on church. The minister was having an affair. I couldn't stand it. I was a very idealistic person. And um, I had equated human beings, you know, with this higher power, which I didn't understand any of that. But the point is, it was through these rooms that I got led back to go to a church. It was so ironic as, as everything changed inside of me. And really, I think I told you all when I got recovered, it's like I did a giant turnaround on the whole room that I was in of 100 people. And it's been like that, the change, a giant turnaround. There's nobody out there that doesn't deserve help. I don't care what they did, whatever they did to me or to my people I love. It's, it's a total change. My husband thinks that I have done this. Well, you and I, folks, know I didn't do it. The only thing I did, the only thing required of me was to surrender. I feel these doctors surrendered. They said they, they had nothing else. They surrendered. Help. Help these poor people. And Bill W. did. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you for your share. I think we have time for three more shares. Who else would like to share on these paragraphs? Anna H. Anna H. Anyone else? 
We have time for two more. Alice M. Alice M. Good morning. Anyone else? One more. All right, let's go with those two. That might bring us right to the close. Anna H., you go ahead. Hi, good morning. Um, I, I'm Anna H. I'm from New York. I'm compulsive reader. I'm recovered one day at a time in this program. Um, so I just, I love this. I love the concept, I mean, because I've definitely felt myself, um, well, I'm a good person. You know, I, I'm a good, I, I'm good at heart. You know, I, that negates, you know, that negates these other things that negates, you know, that's, that's how I'm getting by. That's, I'm taken care of because I'm good, you know, um, and the self-knowledge part, um, also just thinking that, well, I know all of this, I know all of these things and I'm, um, so self-informed that I can rise above this, you know, I can, I mean, that is, so such a construct of the disease was living so much in the disease. It's like, if I know all this, I can apply all this. And again, it was another cycle of diet, restrict, um, manipulate. Um, and I also manipulated you because I was a good person. And so, you know what, my way must be the right way, you know, and this disease is very sick that way. And I love that this, this uh, paragraph talks about, you know, it kind of, uh, kind of aligns itself with that because it's just what our thinking as addicts is. You know, we think that if we do X, Y, and Z, then we can kind of ride above the fray in terms of working the steps. But we don't, we don't need the steps. I mean, I didn't know about the steps until I found out about the program um, of recovery. But that's what I mean. Is I thought, well. You know, if I take these actions, if I do these things, then I'll be okay. I'm a good person. I deserve to. I deserve to lose weight. <laughs> and um, the beauty today is that this is a spiritual solution. Um, so the mind and body um, that are sickened by this disease, like my my obsession in my mind, which extends not only to food but to people, places, and things, and other situations. Is only cured when I take these suggestions in this book, and um, I didn't know that. I didn't know that before, and it's changed my life um, to the effect that I am so grateful. Um, I'm so grateful today to be of service to other people. That today is what I look forward to doing and being, um, and it truly ends up being a moment of being grateful for being in the present and being grateful for the present. And that's, that's being, that is like truly what recovery looks like today for me. Um, and I'm just so grateful for that because it always was, let me obsess about my next fix or let me obsess about what I just did to harm myself with food. Um, you know, and, um, I'm just grateful to hear this paragraph talk about that and talk about all the links that, you know, it insinuates all the links we go to, to, um, we've gone to, to try to lick this disease, you know, the easy way, quote unquote. Um, and they, and, you know, we talk often about the easier, softer way. And, uh, with that, I'll wrap up and just say the easier, softer way today for me is the steps. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. And Alice, and you'll be our last year. 
Good morning. This is Alice M. from Florida. And um, ah, these uh, paragraphs are powerful. Um, and I identify back. Um, I'm trying to keep it with the two paragraphs we read just recently, but I will have to say that um, there was a point where um, early on I was in a treatment center and the, the uh, director said to me, Alice, you are hopeless in front of a whole group of addicts. And I, um, I didn't understand what that meant. And I, I, I didn't understand what that meant at that time. It just made me mad. It made me very fearful. I didn't, it wasn't followed with, you know, here's what you can do. You know, you need to follow this program and have these, you know, live by these principles. But anyway, I'm glad I, um, I'm glad that was presented to me um, later. But um, and I, I wanted to share also that I really appreciate the history that was shared on here earlier about Ford and Young. I just, I, really it's important for me to understand where this all originated it's like finding out about my own family you know my family today is recovered food addicts um alcoholics and i like um i like learning about my ancestors basically and um and i have to say too that you know what i'm i'm kind of um you know i'm i'm atheist or agnostic i guess i like the word atheistic i'll make that one up and um i kind of would like to know what freud would have contributed to this program because there's so many people that contributed that um, we just had no idea that they would have made a contribution at all. And there's so many people that that um, that didn't that it's unfortunate. So I kind of would have liked, um, maybe not selfishly, but for the whole fellowship in general, to um, to to hear what Freud would have said. Um, you know, just to think it would have helped to have all all um, all points of views. Um, but anyway, they. Um, it was, you know, it's clear to me um, that, um, you know, the extraordinary experience for me is 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 living by these principles. It is an extraordinary experience, and that is the one exception that the doctor said. You know, is there no exception? Or he said to the doctor, "Is there no exception?" And yeah, there is, Alice. It's it's following the freaking directions of a sponsor. It's weighing and measuring your food. It's there's yeah, here's here's a way that people have been doing it that are making it, and it's up to you. You know, you can follow that or not, and and you can you can understand and learn about what it is to to have humility, and then once you understand it, you can live that. It's your choice. So I'm just in the point right now where I'm the the whole the answer is presented to me. You know, I'm learning, I'm researching, I'm understanding what do these terms mean. I have no idea what it means to live in a to live with humility to live an honest life. I don't have that experience and I'm getting that experience here um, by um, hearing and seeing people who are doing this because for me, it's critical I see to have this emotional displacement and rearrangement of, you know, for me. Um, And that is where it's going to come. It's not going to come from, from anything else, from anything intervening in my life. That's my opinion. It's, it's going to be pure work. It's just going to be work. And, um, I got my boots on. I'm ready. I'm ready. I got my boots on, my gloves on, and, and uh, my helmet, and I'm ready today. So that's just what I want to share. I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Alice. And thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. I will ask Janice M. to lead us. Please read for Please read for us page 164 in A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Janice M. 
Thank you, Sally. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then, pass.